welcome to the Like Arrows podcast, the show that will connect you to the right organizations and resources to help you become whole, healthy, and healed in every way. Hey fam, I'm your host, Lauren Williams, and today is our last episode for season one. I can't believe it. I feel like we just started the season, but yes, today is our last episode. And with that, I have a few announcements to make. The first one, like I just said, this is the last episode for season one, and we've been talking about how to have a healthy sexuality. So please send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what you have learned throughout the season. The second announcement is I have just revamped the website and it has all of the links to the faith-based resources to help you no matter if you are single or married. Um, So don't forget to check those out. And I have the website linked below in the description. Now, my last announcement is I am launching season two starting next week. And for the next few months, we are going to be talking about singleness. Now, we are not just going to be talking about how to be content if you are single, but this applies to everyone, whether you are single or married, we are going to be talking about how to become the best version of yourself so you can be all that God has called you to be. And so we're going to be talking about boundaries, how to have healthy boundaries, um, and especially when dating, how to date well, how to heal from past trauma, and how to renew our mind. So we're going to be talking about things that I believe, and, and many that I'm going to invite on, are going to talk about what are some things that single people can work on while they're single, so that when God does bring you that spouse, um, yeah, when God does bring you that spouse, that you will be ready, and you will be healthy, and you will be prepared for marriage. So this is not just for single people, but it's for everyone because all of us have areas in our lives that we can grow in. So moving on, those are the announcements, but I just wanted to share all of those with you. And so moving to our talk today, uh, we have part two of my conversation with Mike and Heidi Maxwell. And so in this episode, we talked about boundaries, wholeness, and dealing with dysfunction in relationships. And so if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, it would really make my day if you leave a review as it helps people find the podcast. And so today we're just going to get right into it. So here's part two of my conversation with Mike and Heidi Maxwell. And without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Heidi, I was so ready to ask this question today um, because I think it's something that I personally have struggled with um, is my perspective of men and how I view men. Um, because I wanted to know after your divorce and being an experienced betrayal in your first mess, uh, in your first marriage, did you come out of that experience with the mindset of, oh, well, all guys struggle with porn. Every guy, the next guy I meet is probably going to be like this. Did you ever, did that ever, uh, like cross your mind or? Yeah, I think, I think more of it was, oh, once a cheater, always a cheater. Um, oh, all guys, like if I can't trust the guy I'm married to, who can I trust? Like, there's no good guys out there. They're all honest or they're all dishonest. They're all liars. They're all addicted to something. Right. So, so is there actually anybody out there? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, those thoughts go through your mind and uh, yeah, I didn't know if I'd ever get remarried again. I mean, I did, like Mike said, I had like a thousand links on on match and there were, I did have uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so how did that inform, I guess for both of you really, 
Um, and that's not to shame men, but I think that's probably more common and more talk among amongst women than I think most people actually think like, oh, well, if this guy did this and he's a, he's once, like you said, once a cheater, always a cheater. I feel like growing up, to be honest and frank, that's the mindset that I was kind of taught from like the women in my family growing up. Yeah, All men yeah. are liars. All men are dogs. You can't trust them. And so I feel like personally, that's not healthy. Um, And so how did both of you kind of go about, um, and I know you kind of touched on this, but if you could go deeper on how did you figure out what qualities you wanted in a spouse after your divorce and how did that, (laughs) how did that, how did you go about that process as you're working through all of your, your trauma and your brokenness? Oh, it actually started uh, before I actually got um healing on my trauma i literally went to a restaurant and created a deal breaker list (laughs) he wrote it down (laughs) i wrote it down and then i kept it in my wallet there i narrowed it down to 10 things and i'm like if this woman has any of these 10 things then it's a deal breaker right but uh i evolved and got wiser um as i got to know jesus that i went Number one, she has to love Jesus more than me, because the way I looked at it is I said, you know how you've got the triangle where Jesus is at the top and you're at the sides. We can have a break, but if we're both moving towards Jesus, we'll come back together. But if only one of us is pursuing Jesus and we have a break, I can move towards Jesus, but they can move the other way. And so it became it became the highest priority in my looking for a future mate that Jesus had to be so obviously the most important thing in their life. And one of the ways I, I would tell my daughters this, if, if I had some to tell at this age, I would say, if he is not willing to wait to have sex with you, then uh, Jesus is not the most important thing in his life. You're shaking your head. Mike, you're (laughs) preaching a sermon. This whole time, you've just been preaching. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the reality is, is if they're, you know, and and here's the thing. As a boy, I would Mm. always make the girl the gatekeeper. I consider myself a Christian, but it was her job to say no to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized when I went through uh, my second divorce and the trauma healing, uh, one of the books I read was The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller probably the best marriage book ever. Yeah. And it made me realize that uh, when I'm in a, a situation where I'm sexually tempted, it's not, God doesn't look to her as the, the person who should be saying no or protecting her. Uh, he didn't look at Eve when she sinned. He went to Adam. And so it's the man's responsibility to protect the woman from his sexual temptations. You know, in other words, using her for his own gratification. And so Heidi and I had that talk. And were we perfect? No, because we're human and broken. But our goal was we are going to make it till we get till we get married. And this is a very special thing before God. This is a union that is holy. And so we wanted to wait until we got married to try and uh, to, to go, God, we want you to be honored in our marriage. And our wedding was so amazing. It was like God showed up and even people would come up to us and they're like, oh my gosh, the presence of God was so strong at your wedding. Even the pastor that did our wedding said that. <laughs> wow. And it's Shout like, out to Alan Halaka. <laughs> Alan Halaka. Yes, I love that man. 
But, you know, we just decided we wanted God to be the center. And I think that in dating, that is the most important thing is if, if they'll compromise, if she will compromise for me because I want sex, then God isn't first. Right. So people do make mistakes. I understand. But the reality is, is, is there, you know, weeping? There were times when honestly we would cross the line and we both would weep going, we have just hurt our savior because we violated something that's so holy, you know, and I think that has to be so important um, in the dating world. And I, I know there's people that say, well, I waited until I got married and we have a crappy marriage. And I'm like, that's probably because you have trauma that's undealt with in your life. Because yeah. my counselor taught me that we go through life like a puzzle piece. And if our puzzle piece is dysfunctional, we find a dysfunctional puzzle piece that fits it. So our goal as humans should be to heal our trauma so that we become a whole person that attracts a whole person, right? He actually, one, here's another tip my counselor gave me. He said, if you feel an immediate overwhelming attraction for someone, that's your dysfunction speaking. He said, you cannot feel that towards someone you don't know. Mm. And so that should be a huge red flag. And the reality is, is uh, oftentimes uh, the person that you will end up marrying, you don't feel an immediate attraction to until you get to know them, right? And you find out who they are. And once you find out who they are and who they are in Christ, then you go, I love this person for something beyond this body that I see, right? I love them for who they actually are who they are in Jesus Christ and what they believe. Oh, I need to like put all <laughs> that like on my forehead or like on my bathroom mirror. That's so good. I really liked how you mentioned the puzzle piece. If we don't work through our trauma and our dysfunction, then we're just going to be so quick to like get back, get into a relationship that is not healthy for us. And that's based on our trauma. Um, and so it seems like for both of you, you both were really open with each other when you started dating, you know, before you got married and exposing all the hidden things that happened in your life. So how important do you think both of how for both of you, how do you think how important do you think that is for people who regardless if they're if they're dating or not, just being honest with themselves first? Yeah, well, you know, the. The whole thing, all of us want to be known. That's this double bind is I want to be known and I want to know. But if we have hidden sin, uh, the book, The Cure, was there was one aha in there for me uh, that he talked about. He goes, when you have hidden sin in your life that that the person who you're expecting love from doesn't know, you cannot receive their love. Because on some level, what you're saying to yourself is they can't love me because they don't really know me. Right. If they knew I was looking at pornography, they wouldn't love me. So no matter what they do to try and love me, uh, I can't really receive it or believe it because they don't know me. And so this is why I think it's so important when you're dating. Uh, and, and this is what you'll hear from women who've been betrayed by the time the guy's addiction comes out, like, Oh my gosh, my whole marriage has been a lie. Right. And so that was why I was so adamant that on that date before she committed to me that I said, you have to know everything. And the beauty of it was, Lauren, I had never, ever exposed all that to a woman and had her choose me. Heidi was the first one who knew everything and she still chose me. And she was scared. I get it. Yeah. But the confirmation that she felt like God told her I was the guy yeah. and she chose me 
it's the first time in my life I'd ever been loved for who I really was from a woman, right? I'd exposed that to guys, but never to a woman because I my fear was they would reject me. And Heidi, how did you, after you guys were married, how did you kind of work through that fear? And how did the the B2B curriculum, when we say B2B, we mean beyond and betrayal. How did, at Pure Desire Ministries, how did that curriculum kind of help you work through that? Yeah, um, I think, I think, I guess I'm very naive too. <laughs> I'm very trusting. Like, I, I never even thought, once we got married, I just never thought, that Mike would cheat on me. I never thought he'd do it. You know, I just, I think because he was so honest, right? Like when you're honest, you're vulnerable, you're transparent, that there's that level of trust. Like you already have like a foundation. And so it just, uh, it set my mind, my heart at, at peace to know that, okay, I can trust him. It doesn't, I mean, it's so funny because I was thinking about that not too long ago about your question and just going, wow, we got married and like, like I trusted this guy, like a total stranger, you know what I mean? Like I totally, I trusted this total stranger and, and we've actually had a really, really easy marriage. I mean, we have, you know, some things here and there, but, but, and Mike, Mike and I talk about it, but like the marriage that I have with Mike I wanted a Christian husband. I wanted a man that I wasn't going to have to lead our family spiritually because I felt like I did that with my first husband. Like, Oh, can let's go to church. Okay. Can we lead Bible study? Can, can you please pray with Like, can we do like, I just wanted it so bad. And I appreciate that so much about Mike because he takes that, that leadership role spiritually. And I just like get to sit back and kind of enjoy that and fall under him, you know, with that. And, uh, yeah, so this, this area of trust or, 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 you know, leaning into him has been, has been easy. Uh, it's easy for a man when you know that her highest priority in life is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I go to pray with her, there's no awkwardness because it's like, we are holding hands and going into the presence of our heavenly father, who we both revere above everything else. You know, and so it becomes easy. I think, I think when guys are, I always tell the guys in group, I'm like, you need to pray with your wife every night before you go to bed. And you might pray the same thing, but here's what happens. When you hold her hand and walk into the presence of God, if you've got hidden sin in your life, you're not going to feel very comfortable. You're going to feel really uncomfortable going before her father and pretending like you're a spiritual leader if you've got hidden sin in your life. So I always, uh, you know, Ever since we first got married, we try to pray together every night. And sometimes it's just a quickie because we're both tired. And there have been times where I'm like, man, I'm so tired. Could you pray? And she'll pray. Yeah. But it's one of those habits that I think is really important for our marriage. And and most mornings we have a little nook area in our house that I mean, if I not if I don't sleep in, <laughs> if we get up at the same time. But most mornings we sit in our two little chairs and and I love watching him have his, his time with the Lord. It's just a beautiful thing. And I'm going to give a little shout out to the Bible app. Yeah. <laughs> because I, <laughs> my, I just found the Bible app this year and I was like, oh my gosh, this has changed my life. Uh, but anyway, I have all these wonderful, I have my Bible and all these devotionals that I'm my mom has given me over all the years. So I always like have this stack of books that I haul around everywhere I go. But 
Um, but I love, I love watching Mike, you know, facilitate whatever you want to say, his own personal relationship with the Lord. It's a beautiful thing because I'm not sitting there going, could you please have your quiet time? Could you please spend time with Jesus? Like, I don't have to do that. And, and I've told Mike this before, the marriage that I have with Mike now is the marriage I always wanted with my first husband. So there's a bittersweet, right? And uh, because I held on for three or four years wanting my, wanting my first marriage to be reconciled. But so, and Mike and I were, we have a healthy marriage. We can talk about stuff like that. And it, you know, it, it's okay. You're making me emotional. <laughs> You're okay. Oh I'm not my, crying. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So this is so beautiful and it's so amazing because with, not with all, this is, it's not, it could be the man or the woman, but for most of the divorces that I have seen, or I have seen just in my community and, um, or even just when I hear like a celebrity come out or a Christian celebrity come out and they say that they're getting a divorce, most times it's the woman who is kind of trying to be that spiritual leader of the home and the man wasn't stepping up. And when John was on the podcast, he talked about how like men nowadays, like they need to be discipled and there's not enough men being discipled um, in the church, especially young men. So I'm curious, Mike, did you just kind of step into that role like when you were with Heidi or is that something that you've kind of been working on like before you, you met her? Well, I think I would say it was missing in my first two marriages, even though I went to church. Uh, but I think it was a, an outworking of my own time alone with Jesus. You know, I had uh, almost three years there where I was single and I was I was spending time with Jesus every morning. And I was reading books like the, the Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller and going, how does, if I get another chance, if I get another chance, because I didn't know if I would, what Christian woman would ever marry a guy who's a porn addict that's been divorced twice, right? What kind of woman am I going to get? You know, I, I was like, who would ever take a chance on me? And so uh, in my prayer and devotional life, I was really going, God, if you do, uh, if you don't heal my marriage and or if I, at the, initially it was, if you heal my marriage, I'm going to be a different guy. I want to lead better. I want to be a man of God. I want to pursue you on my own. Uh, and then when that didn't happen, of course, then it's like, God, if you give me another chance, if you will trust me with one of your daughters, how will I treat her? Right. And in, in the meaning of marriage, you know, he talked about um, serving your wife as an act of worship to God. And that's always in the back of my mind when she asked me to do something. I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that, you know. Um, but it's like, okay, God, this is, and I don't always do it with a grateful heart. That's for sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's in the back of my mind going, this is a way to serve my Savior for the gift that he has entrusted me with. So I just think it was my own personal devotional life. And she had her own personal devotional life that came out of her crisis. And when we came together, we said, how do we want this to look? And I, as we were dating, I'm like, I, I want to pray together. And I want to, you know, uh, I want to pursue Jesus together. I want to do ministry together. I was leading groups. I want to, I, I want to do this together. I want to pursue Jesus and ministry and all these things together. I wanted to add, you just made me think of, uh, in my years of just like depression 
you know, sadness, all of those things, which it was so hard for me to, to get out. And I'm, if you know me, I love people. I want to be with people. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to hide. I wanted, I was so, I'd, I'd, I'd go to church late during worship. I'd go up to the balcony where nobody could see me and I'd sneak out because, oh, that's the girl. Oh, that's the girl. You know, she can't keep her husband around. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I believe that, but I was going to say, uh, I, I wasn't one of those girls that like fell into romance novels or anything to kind of help me or, or kill time or escape. escape. But, uh, one of the books that my mom gave me was a book by Anne Voskamp and it's called a thousand gifts. And, um, it's a great book. And uh, she goes through there and talks about all the gifts the Lord has given her and little things from looking out her window and seeing a bird perched on her, you know, on the deck singing and, and a gift that the Lord gave her. And I mean, I had so many nights where I just cried in my pillow and like, you know, tears stained you know, mascara on my pillowcases. And, and she, anyway, in this book, I decided to start a journal and I wrote a thousand gifts. And so I guess what I'm saying for anybody out there listening who is struggling in a place that they are very sad or depressed or, you know, in a place of brokenness at whatever, wherever you're at, focus on what, has God given you? What are the gifts right in front of you? And I'm going to tell you, it just made me think of one yesterday. I was at a stoplight or two days ago, I was at a stoplight and I turned and I looked to the right and we just had rain and there was a puddle and there was eight starling birds taking a bath in a puddle. And I thought, oh Lord, thank you for that gift. And just put a smile on my face. And in the course of me going through my um, brokenness, I, I really loved that book. It just changed things for my perspective and really focusing on, on just the blessings God's given us. But I was going to say too, uh, as far as for one of my healing things was listening to Caleb, those songs and scripture, they were embedded in my brain and it was something positive. And whether, I mean, I, I could never, I, I, I slept horrible. I mean, I had four kids, <laughs> four little kids under 10, and I would wake up 20 times in the night. And I, and my mom said, Heidi, I think there's a, a verse in the Bible that says something about God will give you songs in the night. You should look it up. So I did. And I thought, oh my gosh, the Lord's giving me songs in the night. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to document this. And so if it was at, at 105 in the morning, I'd wake up there'd be a song on my heart. So I turned my light on. I opened, I started a journal and I called them a song journal <coughs> and I would write the time and the song. And if it was at 30, whatever, 301, whatever song, the Lord always had a song. He put a song on my heart and it was just something that the Lord gave me as just, you know, another gift of his presence was worship. And for me, I just wanted to share that. That was a, a really sweet thing that the Lord did for me. So I actually yeah. read that book after she finished it. Uh, and it is pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, wow. it's, uh, have you ever read those books where you go, I don't want this to end because it's so yes. sweet. 
Yeah. That was yeah. how that book was. Hard to get into. It was hard, uh, hard to start, but beautiful mm-hmm. book. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Just sharing little things that kind of got you through that season. And I want to wrap up, but I really don't because I want to keep <laughs> you guys on. Um, oh, you guys just said so many things. I want to unpack everything, but I know that we're running out of time. But one thing, Mike, I want to go, I want to go back and touch on something you said. You said that for, I think, both of your marriages, you came to a point where you realized like a marriage, it, it, it has two people and it can't work if the other person doesn't want to do their work and pull their weight. And I'm sure Heidi, you kind of came to that, you know, conclusion yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and so with both of you kind of in this place of like, God, if you give me one more chance, I will... I will serve your daughter. I will serve your son. I I will pursue you wholeheartedly. So what made both of you decide to commit to each other? What what made you both decide to, to do that? You know, when I first met Heidi, I she was so committed to the Lord and I didn't want to be alone. I mean, I, I would if that's what God wanted, but I felt like I was released. And so I was just like, man, I want to find a woman who loves Jesus and uh do this the right way i've done it the wrong way twice now uh picking based on how they looked or whatever and um i'm like i want to do it the right way and so when i met her and her love for jesus came through you know uh, there's a lot of people that can snow you but there's certain people you can go they are genuine and as we were talking uh especially as she shared her crisis in life and i think that's so important is i'm a firm believer that I don't think this is an absolute, but I think God oftentimes has to give us personally a crisis to get us to a place of full surrender and uh, hearing her story and how distraught she was and how dependent on the Lord she was to survive. Basically, I went, she really loves the Lord and uh, and she's cute. She's got a great smile, Thanks. you know. <laughs> And so I was just like, you know what? I feel like there's some potential here. It wasn't like on that third date, I was saying, hey, we got to get married. It was just like, hey, I would I would like to move in this direction because I think there's potential here. It's just a task-oriented person in me, you know, but I'm also willing to go, if it's, if this ain't the right thing, then let's just move on. And so, um, and then of course, when it was confirmed with the September 6th thing, uh, we were both just like, I don't know when I, I don't think I told her that story until after it happened. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, she probably thinks I'm just trying to sell <laughs> making her. Making stuff up. Yeah. Making <laughs> stuff up. But for me, I was like, okay, God revealed it. She's, I mean, three o'clock in the morning, a text on the day after I'd given up on the relationship. I'm like, this is the one God's got for me. So I was all in at that point. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And I just, I just love hearing that. And I love y'all's story so much. Um, kind of wrapping up, can you both kind of talk about how walking through Heidi for you, the uh, Beyond the Portrayal curriculum, how that really helped you bring about healing for you? And then also, Mike, can you kind of touch on the Seven Pillars group? Um, I will say, because I didn't know when I first heard about Pure Desire, there is an Unravel group. I walked through the Seven Pillars group. <laughs> with someone else um yeah it was pretty interesting and even though a lot of the examples were masculine it it oh my gosh I so so needed that even after being sober for a couple years I just really 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 needed that so I can appreciate I have questions for you now wow wow (laughs) I think to answer your question uh betrayal and beyond 
I just want to say for anybody out there listening, if you feel it's never too late, that's what I want to say. It's never too late. For me, it was 18 years later, you know, after my husband left me. And so, and, and beyond that were the years that my first marriage had the had the betrayal. So, I mean, I guess I could add, I could tack on another 10 plus years, but I just want to say it's never too late to get healing, right? Like we, the, the, the curriculum is spot on. They have a new curriculum this year for betrayal and beyond. And it is just fascinating. And the journal, they have a, a workbook and a journal and it's incredible for, if you can find an in-person group, uh, that's what my preference is in person with other ladies. If not, the online groups are are great. They just you can find an online group too. So uh, just yeah, my healing happened all these years later thanks to to pure desire and betrayal and beyond. And uh, I'm excited. You know, like Mike talked about, like how he was passionate about it. Now I feel like for me, once you once you break free. And those like those, those bars, you know, those like prison bars, whatever you call them, your cell bars, you break free from that. Like there's just the freedom is there. And you just want to share that when, right? Like if you have, you know, an alcoholic and they're, they, whatever, what do you call it? Get sober. sober. They just want to share with whatever they did to get to that place, right? You just want to share it. And so I think that's where... I'm at, yeah. Uh, seven pillars. Um, I, I'm so intrigued that you actually went through it. I, I'm like, just out of curiosity for you, Lauren, what was the yeah. big standout for you <laughs> as you went through the men's curriculum? I mean, what what would you say in your own journey? What stood out as as far as the exercises and things? Hmm. What stood out for me? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting going back through and kind of thinking about how I went through it because I've been through unraveled. I'm on my second time now. Um, I think so it's unraveled is in a way to me kind of different than seven pillars because with seven pillars, there's different stages and it kind of progresses where it's, I feel like unraveled, they touch on different topics in a pretty good order. So like, I remember the first pillar for seven pillars was breaking down denial and shame. Right. And so, um, that really kind of helped me break down some denial for me. Um, because at that point when I started working through seven pillars, I had been sober for two years and I thought I was free, honestly, because I'm like, I haven't acted out. I haven't done X, Y, or Z, but then God was like, no, you still have some addictive patterns and ways of thinking. And, you know, so I really had to get honest with myself. And I think that's what seven pillars helped do for me is getting honest with myself. Even though I wasn't in group, I had someone who, I was working through the material with who was who was a guy and who was in a group and we would kind of share we were family members so it was fine with like sharing but yeah. it really could just kind of helped me break down those walls and for me it actually showed that it wasn't it was more of the love addiction part and the codependency that was the root for me and i think that's what seven pillars kind of helped bring to the surface for me and i like going back to what you said um that a seven pillars group 
that lasts for eight to 10 months is like three years worth of counseling. And I totally agree with that. But at the same time, some people might go eight to 10 months, that's a long time. And like, yes, that's a long time. But like you said, you're paying 80 to $150 a session or more for a counseling. Um, and that's not even talking about going to a CSAT. And there's a difference between a CSAT and a regular therapist. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that, but you're paying all of this money when you could just go through a seven pillars or an unraveled or a B2B group. And a lot of the material is based on, it's clinically informed and it's trauma. It's based on like helping you walk through your trauma too. So that was something else. I think something else that came up for me while going through seven pillars is I didn't recognize how how much trauma I was just stuffing down too. Cause I was a stuffer. Yeah. I would not talk about it. I didn't feel safe to share. I would want to have intimacy in my relationships, but I also feared that at the same time. So, right. yeah. 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 I would say for me, I think, uh, cause I'd had quite a bit of counseling before I did seven pillars and I was doing counseling in conjunction. I think one of the really amazing things that it helped me identify was the patterns of belief um, you know, it, it helps you walk through the traumas in your life. It, probably one of the most impactful for me is that exercise on the 10 most, uh, 10 biggest traumas in your life. And then to look at the lies that you built or the uh, beliefs that were formed based on those things over your lifetime. And the devil is a master at taking a weakness or a hurt and then building on it so that you come out of it going, I'm not, I'm not lovable or I will never be enough. Um, you know, and then of course you go, if I can't be enough for a human, how can I be enough for God? And then moving through that to the prophetic promises or, or the personal promises, uh, where you actually identify instances in your life where God has met you. And then you, you find a Bible verse and put it to it. And I've struggled with trying to figure out how to memorialize those. I did get a tattoo for one of them. Uh, so, uh, just cause I'm like, I, I, do I, put a picture on the wall you know it's almost like how do I build these altars where God has met me so that I don't forget right and so I love that process of of going towards the end of the book going where are those places in your life that God has met you and how do you how do you identify specific scripture that God is is speaking to you individually about his love for you and uh that's, you know, I think the whole, if I, when guys ask me, what is seven pillars about? It's about finding out who you are. It's finding your identity in Christ because your identity is not in all the stuff you think it is. It's not the the next hot chick or the bigger house or the nicer car or the better job or what, all these things that we chase. It's really about who you are in Jesus and what he's created you to be and do, right? Yeah. yeah. I liked how you mentioned the top 10 most painful moments. When I first saw that, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But yeah. I, 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 that was one of the exercises that was the hardest, but it was also the most rewarding, just being able to walk through it and share it. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up and mentioning yeah. that. Yeah. Um, if, you were to, I was going to ask if you were to go back and tell yourself something, but there might be a couple or a husband or a wife listening that either their marriage is on the, their last leg or they have been divorced and they don't know if they're going to get married again. 
they were kind of like in that same space that both of you were in of like, I don't know if like God would ever give me another chance. What would either of you say to them? I would, I, you know, <laughs> if someone came to me and asked for that question, I would say, first, tell me about your community and your relationship with Jesus. Mm. Uh, because I think both of those things are really important is to be around a community that you can trust that's safe, whether that's a men's group or uh, a pillars type group uh, or a women's betrayal or beyond something like that, where you can actually process the pain and trauma that you have, because the reality is like we talked about before, if you don't process your trauma, you're going to recreate that bad relationship. Uh, my counselor, I was going to share this earlier, but he gave me an example of, he goes, he goes, Mike, have you ever known someone, uh, a woman whose husband beats her? And I go, well, yeah. And everybody begs her to leave him, leave him, leave him, leave him. Finally, she leaves the guy. She goes into a bar and she comes out with another guy that beats her. He goes, that's the example of what your trauma does if you don't process it. So I would say so many times in people who are on the verge of divorce, they're focused on if you would change and meet my needs. I would be good. And, and it feels like that's the case. But the reality is, is if you find out who you are in Jesus, you won't be expecting that other person to fulfill that emptiness in your soul. So if they're married and they're, they're falling apart, I would say the problem may be partially the other person, but it also more likely is you because you picked them. You were that broken puzzle piece that, that picked them, right? So you have to look at yourself. And that was the, what I came to when I went through my second divorce. I went, I'm the common denominator. I'm the puzzle piece that's picking these broken women, right? And because I'm broken and they're broken. And so if I don't heal myself, I can never be uh, in a healthy relationship, whether that's with the person I'm with or the next person if I've gone through divorce. So one of the things we focus on in pure desire counseling is both, both parties, the addict and the uh I don't think codependent is the term that we use anymore, but the co-addict, the addict and the co-addict both have to recognize that for them to grow, they both have to work on their own personal issues so that they can be the health. And we have thousands of stories of people who've gone through that. It's kind of like that. Um, if one person deals with their, if the addict deals with their behavior and the co-addict doesn't, what oftentimes happens is an instance where a, an alcoholic meets somebody, they go out drinking, they meet at a bar. He's now losing his job and she's like, you need to get your alcohol under control. He goes to get sober and she doesn't. She oftentimes will, will reach up and pull him back down into the, the relationship that feels comfortable, right? So you have to have both of the, the addict and the co-addict move together in their growth if they want to save that relationship, I believe. Um, and so that's kind of the focus at PD on, on the clinical side is we go, the, the couple has to move together so that they can come out trusting each other with a whole new relationship. You don't want the relationship you had back. You want something new. So there's a lot to that, depending on where you're at. But my first thing is, uh, regardless, is if I want to be, if I want to have the relationship that is whole, I have to become whole. You just made me think, uh, my parents uh, got counseling when uh, when I was, junior senior in high school and the counselor says you know my dad my dad writes the list down of everything wrong that he sees in my mom my mom writes the list of everything she sees wrong in my dad 
And they think that they're going to get to go to the counselor and tell, like, you know, read off the list. These are all of the issues, right? And these are all the issues. And the counselor says something to my dad and it changed everything for him. And he said, you want to know how to fix this or something to this effect? And he says, yeah. And he says, I want you to go home and I want you to look in the mirror. That's how you're going to fix it. You're going to start with fixing you. And I think we look so much at our spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is about everything that is wrong with them. It's easier to point the finger, right? What is that like when you, when you point the finger at somebody, you have three fingers pointing back at you, yeah. <laughs> like we should be looking at that, but, you know, focusing on ourselves and, uh, you just made me think too of that saying, like you become like the five people you hang around. Who are you hanging around? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Uh, is it is it people that you want to be like or become, or is it people that are going to be dragging you down? You know, are they building you up? Are they praying for you? Are they supporting you? Or are they? Yeah, if you're going out drinking with your buddies, you're probably not going to have a very good. Yeah, marriage. or you're joking around at work talking about like, Ugh, you know, or you know. I don't know, whatever it is, but yeah, I would say the number one thing is work on yourself, right? Work on your own healing. It's, I was having a conversation with a, a gal yesterday and my first, my first go-to response is now it's like, oh my goodness, wonder what trauma was in there. Trauma is the first word I think of now, right? Oh, you've got, he's got this and this and this and this. Oh, well, he hasn't worked on his trauma in his own life. There's something that happened, right? So that's uh I wish everybody, you know what? I used to be a kindergarten teacher. I think they should have in schools, like we should have this thing that we work through with kids and it's just part of curriculum that we learn how to process our feelings and our emotions and we work through things so we know how to articulate things. We know how to like have our own voice and to be able to stand up, but also like if you have trauma as you're, you know, yeah. getting older so to work the, through things. The parents are in a safe place for the children, though. That's the hard part. Yeah. And they're the ones that are yeah. taking their trauma. Yeah. But or I thought you were going to say oh. kindergarten training trauma. Oh, kinder- trauma training. Kindergarten <laughs> trauma training. <laughs> yeah, we could do that, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wanted to get up and shout and run around the block when both of you talked about how you need to look at yourself. And not yeah. point out the, the things that are wrong in your spouse or in your yeah. marriage or in your relationship. Um, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast to help point people to resources that can help them not just get free from their trauma, but free from whatever is holding them back. Because so many people think if I, like you said, Mike, get the house, get the car, do this and do that, that's only going to take you so far. It's only going to take you so far forward. And something that I'm really passionate about here on this podcast is like, yes, when when we die and go to heaven and we're with Jesus, we will be fully redeemed. But on earth, how free are you? How free will you be? And so yeah. um, that is that is why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why I'm just so glad that I got a chance to talk to you both. Um, it was such a blessing to hear your story. I'm laughing at myself because both of you said some things where I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to do that. Or yes, I need to listen to that. So thank you both so much for being on today. Um, and yeah, 
I thank, thank you, you so Lauren. Much. You're a doll. Yeah. This Aww. has been fun. We were both a little nervous. We did pray ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Just that if, if if one thing we said affected or helped some one person, you know, or helped somebody, that's really what our desire is. Just if if one person. You know, that was our prayer. Got a nugget it's like, Lord, if something. there's somebody that needs to hear this, just help us to say the right thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and it was encouraging to you. If so, please share this podcast and leave us a review. If you're interested in joining an online Pure Desire group, click on the link below in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram and let me know how this episode has impacted you. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change. Have a great week.